It's the Sportzilla Show with Rain and Matt with WKTV Sports Director Spencer Davidson. What's better than this? Guys being dudes. On ESPN Radio. Watch live on QSportsTalk.com. They're not as bright orange as they actually are if you look at QSportsTalk.com. You can see what the Sportzilla Show looks like, Orange Nation looks like, On the Block with Brent X looks like. Uh, there's advantages and perks to being a subscriber, which we have talked about in the past and we will again in the future. My name is Rain. Matt Page, the glue guy, is here, and Spencer Davidson's in the house. Nostra Davidson, though. I like that. Rain Stradamus. If you haven't heard about that yet, we'll explain. And yeah, I'm Rain Stradamus. I feel a kerfuffle brewing. That's what you call a tease. So I grabbed these at the fair. Matt and I were out at the great New York State Fair in the Galaxy All Star Studio. It's right by the Expo Center. All of the Galaxy Media. Stations are out there at one point or another during the duration of a very long fair, yet a uh, sparsely attended fair. It was not busy, but we got to introduce Bell Biv DeVoe, so that was pretty fun. That Nap Auto Parts Papa Shot is out there. We'll be back again on Monday. Uh, you can wave to the Twitch cam. We saw some interesting stuff. Be honest. Half the time it was Kaposi, by the way. Uh, half the time, yeah, it was, yes, Kap- it was. It was Kaposi. He perked up when we had Michael Lear on yesterday talking about gambling, giving he gives some picks. Or the Degenerate Gamblers. Got that show coming up. They're going to do that on Monday from the fair also. And I think they're naming it Double Down. They've been trying to settle on that for a while now. Uh, But if you like to place a bet on your sports, it's something to tune into. He's doing that with Tommy Gunn Hogan, a brother. And then there's the playing cards, which I have. I brought some back in the other room. My bad. I should have brought them in here. Uh, We'll discuss. I'll get them for our next segment as we get started today. Uh, do you like them, though? The foam basketball head. Should we put one on Spencer Davidson today? Yeah, I'll wear that. that. That looks amazing. Not to mention also the way that you have it situated, Rain, makes it look like like Mickey Mouse ears. Yeah, it does. It's fantastic. On, on, on me. Yeah. I have foam basketball head, QSportsTalk.com, Mickey Mouse ears. I walked into the house last night. My son goes, can I have one of those? And he put it on in like 10 seconds. And then he had me put one back on. And he told me I looked weird. So that was that. It's wow. interesting, though, because on the Twitch camera, they also they almost look yellow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, they do. You're right. It's a little bit. It's, it's not as bright orange as they really are in real life. Tommy DeVito joined us yesterday. That was one of the highlights. We had uh, a lot of great guests on the phone, and I'm not dissing anybody, but we talked to the Q's quarterback, and he spoke to the media yesterday, and so did Garrett Schrader. And then Chris Carlson talked to him about it and wrote a piece on it, and guess who's going to join us today? Chris Carlson, one of our guests on the Accelerate Sports Complex phone line, John Chestakowski from the Baseball Hall of Fame. Inductions are right around the corner. Uh, he procured a lot of memorabilia from oh, the yeah. Field of Dreams game. We've been trying to uh, lock him in. Just been so busy with the Field of Dreams game and everything else upcoming, but we've got a chance to talk to him today, and I'm psyched. Uh, Kate Calloway with Spectrum Sports also going to join us. Uh, the podcast, by the way, wherever you get yours, if you missed the Tommy DeVito interview from yesterday, it's also on demand at QSportsTalk.com. We will get a, a poll up there and, and get that out there soon enough. And Fan Fest is tonight. That's where I really want to jump off and start and get your thoughts, guys. Um, I am excited for that. I know Tommy DeVito said he is. The players are. The return of fans on any level during the course of this pandemic. And the Loud House is going to return to full capacity. It's also going to happen for basketball. It means everything. It really does. You feed off of that energy. I know that you want to back me up on that. You might want to take it another direction. But FanFest, fans in the house, check out the new dome. See the team practice tonight. Hallelujah. 
Yeah, it, it's great. And, and especially after all that we missed out on last year and not being able to do that stuff last year, getting everybody together, celebrating Q sports. Um, it's, it, it's, it's going to be a fantastic time. And, and, and one of the things that, uh, you know, silver linings of this pandemic, because there are so many negative things, it's hard to find positive things, but the positive things that come out of this is that you, you appreciate things that you took for granted before because of the fact that when we didn't have them, when we weren't able to all get together and, and, and cheer for our teams, we weren't able to watch the sports. We weren't able to be at the dome. Now you're, you're going to appreciate it more. Absolutely. And I think that applies to every facet of life, but boy, that escape that sports brings us all. It's so nice when you feel that energy and it even changes. It even changes the energy when you view on TV, even if you don't go to a sporting event, for example, to the Carrier Dome in person, just watching something on TV. When those seats were empty, it was such a different feeling. Mm -hmm. Blue Guy, what's up? So obviously we talked to Tommy DeVito yesterday, and he talked about how it'll be great to have the fans back there for an event, but who benefits more? Is it the fans or is it the players? Because I think the players desperately miss that as well. No, absolutely. I, I think from that perspective, it, it's as weird as it is and surreal as it is for us to watch with no fans. Yeah. Even weirder for them to play. Imagine the things that you would hear if you're watching on TV that you never really heard before during a broadcast of a sporting event. And you're hearing, I mean, first of all, some of the colorful language, but the, just the things that these mics pick up. Yeah. And and then for them sitting in there and you're just you're hearing silence yeah. and you're just here. You're used to hearing a roar where almost you can't really decipher if there's a good crowd. You can't decipher what anybody's yelling at you. No. And then all of a sudden that roar is gone and you're like. Are we at practice or is this an actual game? What a weird feeling. I don't know. Is it surreal? Are, are there other adjectives to describe it? I just think it's such a good thing. I'm happy for Syracuse Athletics to get this back. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it's the loud house. So when it's not loud, it's it's very, it's eerie. It's just a house. It's just a house. You got you got to make it the loud house once again. And there, there's just, there's nothing like being at a sporting event live and experiencing being able to celebrate with other people to be able to yeah I mean there one time I was at a Yankees game they it was a rod hit a home run against the Red Sox in the 16th inning to to walk it off and the guy that I had met three hours prior lifted me up off the ground and hugged me I mean you don't it's just these are experiences like you'll never forget so to be able to to be a part of the roar and feel the energy and everything I mean there's nothing like it so it, it's it's great that we're going to be able to have fans back at the dome. I know the team, you know, like Matt alluded to, the team's going to appreciate it. Ba- Dino Babers has has mentioned that. That's so funny. I, I want to share with you real quick a story. So I'm a bleacher creature, Mrs. Yep. Rain. Back in the day, we're at a Yankees Red Sox game, old stadium. Okay? okay, okay. Manny Ramirez hits a home run into into the into right field. The Red Sox had won the game seven three, which was a sucky part yeah. of the experience, but. So we're sitting there, and over the course of the game, lo and behold, a couple rows behind us, we've got a father-son from the Syracuse area, small world, wow. right, yeah. sitting behind us. I'm living in Syracuse at the time. I, I live back closer to Utica now. But during the course of the game, a couple of a couple of seats over for them and, like, one row back is this guy who's – he lives in Brooklyn, and his friend is with him. And come to find out, after a couple of beers and a few innings – Guys from Australia originally, but so he moves to the States and they live near each other. 
and he becomes a diehard baseball fan. Well, there is no better experience than a guy with an Australian <laughs> accent heckling Red Sox fans sitting next to you. Ended up for like the last, like, I was probably five innings of the game, for maybe the fourth inning on, just high-fiving and just encouraging. That's fantastic. Hey, man, did you need another beer? Let me, because the more sauced up you got, the better the experience was. I, and it I, wasn't. It wasn't hateful. No. It was just a lot of fun. And and that's just something that sports and crowds getting together does for you. Hey, Red Sox. Hey, you Red Sox are terrible. You're terrible, mate. Hey, mate, your team's no good. And then Manny, Manny Ramirez hits the home run in front of us. We were like, oh. Of course. Manny, you've got nothing, buddy. You think it shut him up, though? Yeah, probably. No. No? Oh, no. Oh, oh no. you got to love the Aussies, man. Oh, no. you got to love the Aussies. Dudes are yelling Fosters at him. I yeah. mean, it was just, it was Fosters. hilarious. It's Australian I, I, I had a beer. Like when I was at that Red Sox game, J.D. Drew was in the outfield for, for the Red Sox at the time. The entire game, this guy, every every inning that J.D. Drew was in the field, hey, J.D., hey, J.D., hey, J.D., you suck. <laughs> <laughs> he did. He, he, yeah. when he, became a, he didn't become a Yankee or was it his brother? That was Stephen Drew. Yeah, Stephen, his was, brother. He was a Yankee for a little bit. All right. Then I was a decent player. This is, yeah, this is not Yankees on deck, I was about to say, because we had mentioned the Yankees. This is the Sportszilla Show on ESPN Radio, QSportsTalk.com. Uh, we see we got a new... Prime subscriber on the way once he gets home from work. Kev from Liverpool's in there. Uh, but it's time to get the first official segment of the day. We didn't leave you much time to ask us some questions. Matt is going to give us, does it matter? Does it matter? It's the Sportszilla Show with Rain and Matt. With WKTV Sports Director Spencer Davidson on ESPN Radio. Watch live on QSportsTalk.com. Does it matter? Does it matter that Spencer Davidson subscribed with Prime as well? Oh, nice, dude. Oh, you can see that? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Embarrassing. I, I probably should have done that like a couple months ago. Hey, you've been on there every day. <laughs> well, to, to be quite honest, I, I thought I had subscribed to it. Uh, I have something. Every time I type in the chat, I have something that, that ha- is next to my name. I thought that meant I subscribed. Guess not. But here we are. I'm a subscriber. And every month you have to resubscribe with Prime. Do, do I? Yes. I get, so, do you get the free month? Yes. Still every month. Correct. Oh, perfect. But okay, you have good. to resubscribe for that. That's annoying. They should just do a, an automatic uh, renewal. Well, doesn't that? It's just I don't even know. It just takes the money out of my account, and I'm like, well, yep, also, there it is again. Also, I mean, can we can we can we talk to the higher ups here? Get like free subscriptions for the for the employees? What's going on, Spencer? Just get ready to answer the next question. Go ahead, glue guy. Does it, <laughs> does it matter that there's a lot of uh, Syracuse guys um, being cut from teams in the NFL? Uh, there's a little bit of that. Nolan Cooney, obviously undrafted free agent, released by the Saints. Uh, damn. He's got an injury, though, so I think maybe once he rehabs, he might have Correct. another opportunity to latch on some somewhere. Uh, as, as many of you know, Sterling Hoffrichter was released uh, by Atlanta, yep. or he was dealing with the injury. Uh, Riley Dixon is the only one left, though, out of the three punters, kickers in the NFL that played at Syracuse. Also an Oneida guy. Not only Syracuse, but he's from Oneida, so he's from the area. It was CBA, right, for Riley, if memory serves. Man, they churn out punters, and they churn out DBs. Uh, That's what it it feels like to me. Uh, So my guy's the only one left. So I guess my punter is the best of the former Syracuse punters. Everything about the Giants is better than your favorite teams. And you, I don't know. You guys have to live with that. Uh, Andre Schmidt is the GOAT. When he comes out of Syracuse, he's going to have an NFL career. Yeah. No, I, I think that there's definitely a possibility for that. Uh, you know what? It's the conditions to kick in the Loud House, in mm-hmm. the Dome, are pristine, yep. needless to say. 
Uh, if he's going to be fine, Cisco is impressing in Jacksonville. We know that. But I've been loving seeing the reports about Trill. You know what? Uh, begrudgingly for me, being a Patriots fan, seeing him do well with, with the Dolphins. Uh, I'm more concerned with him doing well with Miami than anything that happens with the Patriots. But that's a consensus from two-thirds of us when the three of us well, are in the room. Well, I mean, technically, Spencer should be worried, too. Should you? Mm, yeah, that's true. It's your Zach division. Wilson's going to get picked off by Trill? Uh, no. No? No. Zach Wilson, the only game that I want to see Trill, Trill Williams fail is against the Jets. And Zach Wilson's going to drop a dime right over him, oh. right into the waiting arms of Elijah Moore. It's going to be fantastic. Trill needs to stick on this roster for Miami, and I need to see him pick off Zach Wilson. I Please. need to see that happen this year. I just do. <laughs> We're going to whole segment devoted to just trolling you about that. That's for to sure. Just trilling me? Yeah, yeah, just trilling you. <laughs> we'll troll you about Trill. One more question. I think we got another minute or two. Uh, Current Twitch poll going on right now. Will the Yankees win streak end against the A's? Yes or no? Garrett Cole tonight and then Nasty Nestor Cortez. That kind of leads us into our remaining questions here on ESPN Radio Sports Hill Show and Doesn't Matter. Does it not? Lucky number 13, huh? Yeah. Let's do it. You got, you've got. you got to have faith in Garrett Cole going tonight. You've got to. And then, and then like you said, Nasty Nestor after that. Uh, I mean, look, this is the longest Yankees win streak since 1961. The Maris Mantle year, the chase for the home run single season record, uh, taking it away from Babe Ruth. But I got to tell you guys, they're not going, the streak is not going to end this series because as long as I wear this hat, the Yankees aren't going to lose again. I bought this hat a couple of weeks ago, this new Yankees hat. I love the color scheme on it. And the Yankees have not lost since I've worn this hat. You should also know that the cat started the streak. That's true. I, I believe against Baltimore. Didn't we talk about that the other yes. day? Yep. Um, so it's been 60 years, but this team, the Yankees, didn't win 12 in a row in 77. They didn't do it in 2009. They didn't do it in 98. This year, these Yankees, these circumstances, this is the team that somehow has pulled a dozen straight out of their hat. If that's not a magic trick, I don't know what is. <laughs> uh, it. You just, there was a point that, Winning two in a row didn't seem like it was oh, yeah. guaranteed. Every single game, you're like, oh, no. And here's a roll. This is falling off. And what are they going to do? And they, I mean, they gave up a six-run lead yesterday. Yeah, that's that's 100% a game they lose earlier in the year. We said that uh, last week. I, for, I forget which game it was now, but I remember saying that, you know, it's a, it's a game that they 100% lose. Um, I think they were in the lead. I forget who it was against. And it they, was uh, with Chapman the other day. Yeah, and, and they, then, they ended uh, up going down. Uh, who was it? Yeah, I can't remember now. But either way, either way, this team is just, these are games that they 100% lose okay, before what, the All-Star break. What's really important here? Oh, Wandy Peralta had to come in and make the save. That's right. Yeah. Oh, for Chapman? Yes. Yeah, because yeah, right. he, he, he's... Magic Wandy. He's not right again. No. But you have to wear the same underpants, but you don't have to prove it. And you have to wear that hat every single day to keep the streak alive. So I don't have to prove it, but can I prove it? Um, please don't. <laughs> We're going to take you at your word on that. We can visually see the hat and the rest of that. Trust me, we will believe you. But just assure us that you're going to do that. I, I and then burn them after. I will do that. I, we're going to need we're going to need Ryan Mullen to to make a Photoshop of me just every day. In, a, in, a, in the same underwear. There you go. Send that. that you, you're going to have that in your inbox in about 10 minutes. But let's not make it weird. Have me fully clothed in the Photoshop Do and just not. put the boxers over my pants. Don't Photoshop him in, in a Speedo. 
<laughs> oh, God, nobody wants that. Uh, there was another uh, fun, exciting part of the Yankees game. Anytime a manager gets ejected, that's something that you got to talk about, and it happened to Booney. We'll get to that next in the kerfuffle as we pause for the first time today on the Sportsilla Show on ESPN Radio. Uh, we'll get back with you, QSportsTalk.com. We see a lot of you in there commenting. Hang on. Who's got Twitter beef, bulletin board material? We've got another Brook and athletic brouhaha. Let's go toe-to-toe. It's the Sportsilla kerfuffle. Ah, uh, a classic conundrum. It's the Sportsilla Show with Rain and Matt with WKTV Sports Director Spencer Davidson on ESPN Radio. Radio. Watch live on QSportsTalk.com. Spencer Nostra Davidson, how are you? I could do. I'm not gonna. You do. sound. You sound like my like my entire extended family. Uh, um, I'm gonna be Rain Stradamus. So listen, uh, this Aaron Boone ejection. Have you seen the John Boy video yet? Or, or he was traveling. What's the deal with that, Matt? Yeah, he's traveling. He said he'll be making videos tonight. Okay, so we're gonna see because I like when he relips. And reads the lips and takes you on through the play-by-play, slows it down, breaks it down. Love me some John Boy, especially if you're a Yankee fan. He, he goes outside of the Yankees, though. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. I like what he's done. He's created an empire for himself. Correct. He put out a video, and he showed his laptop screen to have having, like, 10 videos ready to go. He just hasn't had a mic available, so mm-hmm. he'll be doing that when he gets back. So we're going to get a breakdown of the ejection. It was in the second inning, right? He was arguing balls and strikes because he didn't like the call against Judge or Joey Gallo. We grabbed the pitch charts, and you take a look at it. It wasn't even close. They weren't even close. No. The, the calls were terrible. It was like Angel Hernandez-esque. Ugh. But the problem is it wasn't Angel Hernandez calling no. balls and strikes behind the plate. Uh, tell everybody who it was there, Spencer. It, it was, was Todd Tinkner. Yeah. Tick Tickner. And what, you got to take a what? Got to take a Tickner. Reminds me of the... Giannis thing, right? Got to take a tickner. Yeah, take- you make a bad call. That's what we say from now on. I, I, it was it was terrible. And, and the worst part about that, the worst part about that is the fact that in the next half inning and throughout the rest of the game. You missed the call. You took a tinkner. <laughs> that's a that's great. I'm just saying. Um, the rest of the game, pitches were in the same spot. Yeah. And he would call them balls. That's the thing. It's the lack of consistency. Angel Hernandez is the same way. Yeah. They have that. We've talked about this before. They have like this report card for umpires. It's a, If you're on Twitter, it's a great follow where they, they just break down the numbers for you. And if you've got a major league umpire calling balls and strikes and his accuracy rate is 97, 98, okay, something just off the edge, real yeah. close. Okay. Yeah. Everybody's human. But when your accuracy rate on balls and strikes is like 91%, you round it off. It's basically 9 out of 10. Nine out of every ten pitches you get right, but that means one out of every ten you get wrong. That's not acceptable at this level. No, I mean, this isn't a batting average. Assuming it's, a hundred-pitch outing for a pitcher. You yeah, know what I mean. it's, it's not okay to be right, you know, only some of the time. And the thing with Angel Hernandez, and I know that we've we've discussed him at ad nauseum before, but the one thing he's consistent at is being consistently bad. It's like every single game the guy trends on Twitter because – He's missing calls. He takes a tinkner he all the time. He takes all the time. And he's not allowed to officiate uh, MLB playoff games, correct? No, he still does, I think. I'm pretty But it's not not in the later rounds, not in the World Series? Well, yeah, I don't think he's in the- Maybe when they need more umpires for the wild card in the first round yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Can we just can we just have him 
umpire the Field of Dreams game next year and just have him get lost in the cornfields. That'd be great. We're going to talk about that with John Chestakoski of the Baseball Hall of Fame in Ooh, just a little while DT. on the Sports Silla Show on ESPN Radio as we continue the kerfuffle. J.R. Smith is playing college golf. Uh, of course, he has to take classes to be eligible for that. Uh, and he has tweeted, uh, we've all been rather amused by this. Can I share the best thing that I saw on Twitter today? Uh, the J.R. Smith tweet about his homework, his English homework. Are you ready for this? He says, I finished my home, my English homework. Dope short story about a little girl with six brothers and seeking parents' approval. Dope reading and then some book emojis. Because, you know, when I found out that J.R. Smith was no longer playing, going to play, had any plans to play in the NBA, he was going to return to college to play golf and then be given his eligibility or have that reinstated or approved that he could actually play. I was hoping to hear about his English homework. Isn't that the first thing that you thought? Yeah, it's great. I mean, this is the, what are we like? You're living your best life when you're J.R. Smith and you're just like, you know what? I'm done with the NBA. I'm just going to go back to college and play college golf. And it's great too, because the guy literally does not need to go back to school. No. He's had enough success in his life where he's made money. He's, you know, he's 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 had a successful career. This is this is purely he wants to. He wants to better himself and get an education. Good for J.R. Smith. Was always a fan of his, you know, since his Knicks playing days. It, it's 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 great. And it provides us great content with this guy golfing. Because you you know people are going to be paying attention to college golf when J.R. Smith's playing now. Absolutely. I feel like our next uh, Twitch poll should be, does J.R. Smith go shirtless in the Zooms for for, uh, school? Uh, He has to, right? um, hmm. Mm. He Mm. has to. 25%. Are we playing what are the odds now? Yeah. (laughs) Yes, let's do it. Does it it matter? You know what? I'm f- I'd rather that than you in underpants. Um, that you're, you know, that well, we, we talked about it. I our, feel like that's a zero percent. So anything's more than that. Our earlier segment. So let's move on on the kerfuffle here. Sports Illustrated Show, ESPN Radio. The Oakland A's versus uh, having a fan base. They're like the West Coast version of Tampa. And Spencer's exact words to me earlier, but they're good. And I went, so's Tampa. Why can't these teams? And and listen. They don't have a lot of money. The payroll isn't very high, but they find ways to reinvent themselves year after year after year. They take players that I guess are cast-offs or others don't want. They put it together, and they get it done. They win games, and they're in the conversation every single year. Look at Tampa. I mean, wow. How does this keep happening? And how come people don't go see them? It's It's embarrassing. It's it's embarrassing, not for the team, for the, for the fan base, and, and you know Oakland. Unfortunately, I mean th- this isn't. It's not totally surprising. I mean the Raiders left town, the 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 Warriors left town. Is the fact that they both they play in arguably the two worst stadiums or venues in Major League yeah. Baseball? They're both terrible, garbage. It, it's a horrible, horrible environment to watch a game. I've never been out to Oakland. Uh, but you just look at it on TV, and it's a consensus. Just listen to anybody. It's awful. It's a it's a terrible baseball experience. I, I've been to the Trop, and it's just a dump. It's a dump. John and Susan on, on the radio calls, they'll tell you all the time. All the time. They the time. can't stand it. They, you watch the TV broadcast. They can't stand it. It's just not an environment to play Major League Baseball in. has to have something to do with it. The location well, of the Trop is a problem, too. Well, I was. it's exactly what I was just going to bring up. Time after time, you've talked about getting to the Trop is just terrible on its own, let alone the venue itself. Why doesn't Tampa come to an agreement somehow 
and move it across the bay over the bridge and put it back in Tampa. You are in the Sunshine State and you don't have an outdoor ballpark. So I want to go to the beach. You need to you need to build a ballpark right on the coast on or, the beach or at least retractable like in Miami. Right right. But you need to do something better than what you've got right now because I I've never personally been to the trop uh, but it just looks like garbage. And, and you know, Michael Kay had a good point last night on the Yankees broadcast where he was talking about the fact that the Athletics have never had a batting champion because they play most of their games at the Coliseum, and there's so much room in the, in you know, in foul territory to yeah. make catches. The pop-outs are, there le- are left so and many, right. There are so many that would make the seats in other stadiums that are pop-outs, and, and so the hitting is, is down in those ballparks. Plus, the fence is so far away. You have to hit it to San Francisco in order to get it over the wall. You know the thing about J.R. Smith that's awesome? He marches to the beat of his own drummer. So does Ricky Henderson because it's now Ricky Henderson Field, by the way. Yep. They spent two innings telling Ricky Henderson stories last night. They weren't even calling the game. They were just talking about Ricky <laughs> Henderson. It's like His first like million-dollar check, you remember that story? He framed it, put it on the wall, and never cashed it for a while. And eventually it caught up, and people came back and were like, Ricky, about that million-dollar check, he's like, Oh, this one that I have framed? Yeah, that's actual money. Like, that's a million dollars right there. And think about that. He debuted in 1979. That's got, what is that? Five million dollars now? Yeah. Well, Crazy. And, and, and as another tease that we're going to be talking to John Shestakovsky later, Ricky Henderson will be in Cooperstown in a couple of weeks for the induction ceremony. So that'll be exciting to see him. Yeah, you're going to have a lot of players down there. That was a strange thing to not have in. Uh, to not happen last summer. Last thing in the kerfuffle, um, let's go Nostra-Davidson. That's you, Spencer, versus Rangstradamus. That's me. You got one wrong. Yeah. Did you know that? Yeah. Jameis. Yeah. Got named starter of the Saints. Yep. I said Taysom Hill was going to be the star. However, well, you know what? There's no excuses. I was wrong out of the gate. But I did also say that even if Jameis starts at the beginning, didn't I, that, that eventually I think this is Taysom Hill's team? How, but you no, know, you I, keep talking. I'm just going to let you talk I, yourself. I, I will, no, I'll own this one. Look, Nostradamus put out so many predictions <laughs> that not all of them are right. But his batting average is fantastic. So that being said, you know, I could be wrong sometimes. All right, we'll give you the sports anal- analogy. Let's pause. Kate Calloway is going to join us on the phone next. She's with Spectrum Sports. We'll open up the Accelerate Sports Complex phone line here on ESPN Radio and the Sportszilla Show. Tampa Ron said the trop is horrible. <laughs> well, some ringing endorsement. Quick would break. Know. This is the Sportszilla Show with Rain and Matt and WKTV Sports Director Spencer Davidson on ESPN Radio. Well, um, hey, WKTV Sports Director, we got somebody else who's on TV from time to time here, Kate Calloway. He's busy going through his notes. Uh, yeah, he's got notes for, for everybody that we talk to. Um, are, are you ready? I'm ready. You, I'm ready. You ready to go? You want the first question, or can can I be Radio no, Daddy for a second? No, you be Radio Daddy. I, I got to ask how Carson is. How's your boy? Because it's in your Twitter bio, and you're a mom first, so everything's good? He's so great. We actually took him to the fair for a little bit the other day, and I posted on Twitter, he fed the giraffe, these yes. carrots, which was the, <laughs> the funniest thing because I, I was expecting him to be a little scared, but he was not scared at all. And we have a great video of him feeding the carrots to the giraffe, and it just made made my day. So he's getting close to one years old and wow. just got him his first set of golf clubs. So 
I don't think it'll take very long for him to start beating me. Is he ready to beat Mark Larson yet? Well, you know, my other concern is at least it's going to be a while before he goes to college because I don't know if you want him on the same team as J.R. Smith because <laughs> he, he, he never wears a shirt, that guy. Uh, That's a very good point. Needless, yeah, it'll take him a few years to beat Mark. Yeah, for sure. Uh, needless to say, uh, Q's football preseason. We're getting close. Fan Fest is tonight. Fans back in the Loud House. That's something we were talking about earlier. Uh, what does it mean more? Let's let's throw the question that we kind of discussed earlier. Is is it more important to the fans to get back in there after the pandemic and, and nobody last year, or is it more important to the players right now? That's a really good question because I feel like it's pretty even. Um, I sat down with Tommy DeVito yesterday, and we were talking a lot about Fan Fest, which I'm going to be heading down to tonight. So I'm really excited about it. And Tommy is just, he said he feels like a kid on Christmas almost, and he's just really looking forward to being back out there in front of the fans. And, I mean, all of the players that I've spoken to during training camp, which has been, you know, probably over a dozen, they all have said the same thing about how important the fans are at the Dome. And you think about just how loud it is and how valuable they are and how they really do make a huge difference in these games. So I think that it's really important for the players to – be playing, you know, not just for themselves, but for the fans actually that they can see, but also just the Orange Empire in general is just so excited to be back in the Dome. So I'm just really looking forward to seeing the fans in the stands. I'm going to be talking to some of them too tonight as well. So I'll probably have more of an idea, but just the general enthusiasm, they're pumped forward and the players. I think it's, you know, now that I think about it, I think it's probably more important for the players, to be honest. I think they really need that support. I, I agree. I think playing on a, you know, playing a, a major NCAA Division One game in an empty stadium would would certainly be uh, it would be a very eerie, weird situation. So I'm sure the players are going to be appreciative to have the Orange faithful cheering them on. Um, I want to move o- move over to the basketball side of things in the elite camp uh, with high school players at the the Mellow Center uh, coming up on Saturday. Uh, from Syracuse's standpoint, I mean, how valuable is it to to have something where you can kind of look at the next generation? help kids in your area um, and, and just get a look at some players. But also on the, on the flip side of that, have high school players be able to get a chance to, to play in front of the Syracuse coaching staff and, 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 and get themselves a, a look and learn from you know, the, the, the staff of the Orange. I think it's really valuable when you think about just one thing that's really great about Syracuse University is – the facilities and they have the mellow center and you walk in there and you see the trophies and see, you know, just all of the memorabilia everywhere you walk in there and it's, it's just so impressive. And I think that for these players that are coming out here for this elite camp on their own time, on their own dime, it's important because they actually get to see the facilities and see what they would be playing in and kind of do these tours and actually see the hill in general, see the dome, but obviously they get to, to play in this elite camp at the mellow center. So I think it's really valuable for the players. And then obviously for the staff to see these players that are coming in, that are these elite guys. But when you just look at who's going to be here, I was uh, looking at DJ Wagner, who is, apparently the number one player in the 2023 class from Camden, he's coming out here and it's like, it's important for him to actually see, okay, like, could I see myself at Syracuse? And we hope that the answer is yes, when you come out. So it's important because obviously on the recruiting trail, things can change so quickly. And we saw what happened with Kamari lands 
last week. Um, so it's just important for these players to feel comfortable and feel excited to be at, at SU and kind of explore what it could be like to play here. So it's fun to have those types of camps uh, over the weekends and, and kind of have all of this talent in one place. Online with Kate Calloway of Spectrum Sports, Sports Illustrated Show, ESPN Radio. Yeah, you mentioned DJ Wagner. Justin Taylor is going to be there. Uh, great news to have have him in front of the coaches and whatnot. Peter Carey's another name that if you look in our twi- our Twitch chat, QSportsTalk.com, uh, Agent Orange has mentioned him. Who's the other player you mentioned? Preston Murphy's another guy that he's keeping an eye on. So, yeah, this is, this is a big deal, and it's a great opportunity. Uh, but in keeping with the subject of basketball, Little, little rumblings online about the ACC tourney <laughs> investigating moving away from Greensboro, which is there were some comments that Jim made at the high made not too long ago, got him a little bit of trouble, said he preferred, you know, the Big East tournament was always in New York City and Madison Square Garden. And he's a big chicken parm fan and, and he loves his <laughs> restaurants and going out to eat. And I thought maybe they finally decided it was the jokes all over Twitter. Maybe they finally just started started to listen to him a little bit and they're going to make Jim happy. It's important to him to find his chicken parm. I mean, maybe there's motivation in that, or perhaps it's nonsense, Kate. You know, I, I, you know, I, I, I sorry, sorry, Kate. I, I just wanted to make a quick point, and that you know, he, he received some heat for for making those comments, but like. I mean, who who wouldn't agree with that, that you'd prefer to play at Madison Square Garden than in Greensboro, North Carolina? I'm sorry. Uh, if Jim wins me an ACC tournament game, then he's allowed to go out and find the best dinner available. I think he's earned it. That's my biggest concern. Go ahead, Kate. I agree, though. I mean, the, the ACC tournament, it would be, you think about just the difference of Madison Square Garden or, you know, the Barclays Center versus Greensboro, I can kind of, I hate to say it, I can kind of see what Jim is saying. Yep. I mean, you can't find good chicken parm at Bojangles, last I checked. <laughs> I, you know what? I, I don't know. We'd have to actually look that up. I've never really looked at their menu. Uh, we've got to take a, a deeper dive on that next time we talk to Kate Calloway. It is, once again, ESPN <laughs> Radio. She's chatting with us. Uh, let's get back on a serious sports topic. Glue guy, these NFL quarterbacks, we called out Nostra Davidson because he was wrong about predicting Jameis Winston. But let's turn this into a little bit of a conversation about your Josh Allens and your Daniel Jones. And and these guys finally getting into games. You know what I mean? Yeah, so obviously preseason's usually four games. This year it's down to three. How crazy is it for these NFL teams to try to dictate uh, when players play? And do you think that's a big deal heading into the final week of preseason? for these guys to play meaningful snaps. It is important for them to play meaningful snaps and actually get first team reps. I mean, I don't know if I'm the only one that feels this way, but I have a very hard time watching preseason football. I'm, I'm an Eagles fan, to be honest. And I know the Patriots game was not great. I know. And I've heard Alex Sims is a Patriots fan. So we haven't really spoken about it, <laughs> but you know, it, it's hard to watch because, you know, you watch a couple snaps and we didn't even, I mean, Jalen Hurts didn't even really play, but it's like, because he was uh, sick or, or whatever the reason was, but it's just frustrating to watch because you want to see these guys actually get some reps. And I'm actually really looking forward to seeing Josh Allen play against the Packers tomorrow. And I think it's important to actually get some in-game reps when you just think about kind of getting into the rhythm. I mean, how much of that can you really get from, training camp and it's also really important for the rookie quarterbacks to get those opportunities to actually get some snaps in and actually prove that you know that they can they can really play I mean Jameis getting named starter I mean how much of that was because of how he played 
earlier in the week against Jacksonville. When you think about it, like that was important for him because now he got named the starter over Taysom Hill. So I think it's important for these guys to get those reps. And I wish that they would get a couple more snaps, but then I can see the other side of it where you don't want them to get hurt. And, you know, God forbid something happens to Josh Allen against the the Packers, then what? So it's a really tough situation, but especially with only three preseason games, I think it's important for them to get a couple snaps. I mean, come on. The fans want to see it, too. That's the thing for me. I get so frustrated hearing about it. Oh, this is the guy. This is the guy. This is the guy. This is our guy. This, And then you're like, okay, uh, um, when are we going to actually see him in a game? Yes, it means nothing in the exhibition season, but at least a few series. They play less and less and less and less over the years, and it gets to the point, Spencer, I'm like, where's your guy? Where's Zach? You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I understand why they do it, why they they need to get reps for guys to see who can be, you know, two on the depth chart, who can fill in different roles. But at the same time, like, you, you televise these games and everything, and it's just hard to get up for them. So, I don't know. It, I, I wish they would just do the, you know, the joint practices, scrimmage against other teams and not even have preseason games. So, that being That's a really said, good point. Did we talk to you about the Yankees yet? No. I'm so engaged in all of this other conversation. I'm like, wait a minute. We had one other thing we wanted to mention real quick before uh, we depart with Kate Callaway today. But this win streak is 12 and counting. And we were saying Garrett Cole's on the mound tonight. Nasty Nestor Cortez pitches tomorrow, who's turned, he's turned a very dependable starting pitcher for the New York Yankees. Do you see this streak ending this weekend in Oakland? Wait, there's like a win streak going on with the Yankees? I, di- I didn't know. <laughs> Nobody mentioned it. <laughs> hasn't been oh covered gosh, at all. It's just been insane. I mean, just watching them and seeing what they were two months ago to now, it's just absolutely nuts. Their team is so just – it's literally just the team coming together at the perfect time, and they are scary. And I know Spencer is probably so excited about this because – I'm a Phillies fan, and this is another depressing thing right now. (laughs) But for Yankees fans, they have so much to be excited about because, I mean, when you look at the streak, and it's the fact that this is the longest win streak they've had since the 60s, and then you get Garrett Cole. I don't know. Oakland, after how that game ended last night with, you know, a 6 nothing lead and them coming back and then the Yankees still pulling it out, I don't know. I I, I don't want to jinx it, but I think... I think I have a hard time seeing them extend it to 13 tonight. That's just my hot take. Ooh, that is Ooh. a hot take with Garrett Cole. Okay. Hey, is that wishful thinking or is that you actually thinking uh, that's going to happen? Of course it's wishful thinking, right? I mean, I'm still a little bitter from the 2009 World Series, so yes, maybe. <laughs> <If Anthony laughs> Riz- as a media member, we like showing the. I mean, I like showing the Yankees and Mets highlights, and I do enjoy calling highlights when they do win. So I guess. I can see both sides of it. I mean, I got to root for them a little bit in that sense. So it's exciting, and it would be cool to keep their win streak going, especially because I'm anchoring this weekend, and I get to do some of those highlights and and keep that going. So I'll say it for that reason. (laughs) The Yankees are 14-1 and as well when Anthony Rizzo is in the lineup since the trade. So uh, if he plays tonight, there's a good chance it's lucky 13 after this. Kate Calloway with Spectrum Sports, thank you so much for the time. Enjoy your weekend. This is ESPN Radio and the Sports Illustrated Show. You're killing me, Smalls. Next. You're killing me, Smalls. It's the Sportzilla Show with Rain and Matt with WKTV Sports Director Spencer Davidson on ESPN Radio. Watch live on QSportsTalk.com. You're killing me, Smalls. Can they just end Trevor Bauer's administrative leave and make it just he's done for the season? Yeah. Because, in other words, they keep 
Uh, it's another week. It's another week. It's pushed into September now. He's not. He can't ramp back up and get ready to come back and play anyways at, the, at this point. But it's just it's ridiculous with the issues he's dealing with. I'm like every week. I'm like, oh wait a minute. Oh, there's the next Trevor Bauer update, and he's not coming back. Yeah, I mean, when when this is all said and done. You know, do you, do you think his contract is voided by the Dodgers and he's gone? Like, he just, he's done? Why wouldn't they? Right. Wouldn't you? Yeah, I would. All the talent in the world, but there's clearly also some other underlying issues. Yeah, and you don't want to be a part of that. No, you don't want that in your clubhouse. I mean, he's a pariah in his own clubhouse. When, when that happens to teams, and there's other players that that has happened with and at different times... But I'm sure everybody can think of examples. But, yeah, this is a current example of that where they don't want him in that locker room. Don't upset the apple cart. They don't respect him as a person. Yep. And you, you have to be willing to run through a wall for your teammates. You've got to you got to galvanize. You've got to be together, be on the same page. But when you can't even, like, you know, I like you. I like Matt, so we can do this thing. But if one of us hated each other, it would be... You can't work in a situation like that, no matter what you're doing for a living, whether it's on a sports team or anywhere else. Everybody's got somebody that you work with or you have worked with at some point in your life where you're like, oh, that guy or that girl or whatever it is. And he's a problem. He's a big old problem, a cancer in the clubhouse. It's not going to go well. Just just, you know what, for the the sake of the team, just be like, he's not going to be back this year, guys. Don't worry. Carry on. Not that it's necessarily affecting their play as they battle with the Giants, but... Well, plus, you know, for the Dodgers, it's it's something that ha- that's continued to be a distraction. You know, if I'm the Dodgers right now, yeah, you just say he's done for the year because you don't want to have to continuously every week address this and say, okay, we're extending it another week. We're extending it another two weeks. We're extending it another month. Have you heard a player in the locker room come out and say anything to the press, even off the record? You know how, like, you know, off the record stuff gets trickled out there in social media. I heard from somebody who heard from somebody because I know somebody... That they want him back? No. Nobody has no. said that. They don't want him back. I think it's perfectly fine to just go, all right, let's stick a fork in him, 86 him, kick him to the curb. He's done for the year, and we move on and try to win a World Series again. Yeah, it's and it's not like anybody's even said something to the effect of, you know, it's a big loss for our team. You know, we understand why he's out, but it's a big loss for our team. It, it just seems like, yeah. Like no, like everybody's kind of resigned to the fact that yeah, this guy's not going to be in the clubhouse, and we're okay with that. Yeah, I mean, it's not even necessarily Trevor Bauer and what he did because we've all talked about that. It's just uh, take the action and get it over with, so we can be done with this narrative. Yeah, you're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls. Subject to baseball, John Chestakowski from the Baseball Hall of Fame will join us next. We want to know about his experience at the Field of Dream Games, the fact they're going to do it next year, what kind of memorabilia is going to be there. Maybe you're heading down for inductions, which are coming up uh, a week into September. You're covering that, correct? I am. I I will be covering that. It'll be uh, a long day in the hot sun, but a fun day. Always is. Well, you're going to have some great insight and observations for us here on the Sportzilla Show. It's ESPN Radio. Hang tight. We'll get to that next. This is the Sportzilla Show with Rain and Matt and WKTV Sports Director Spencer Davidson on ESPN Radio. Welcome back to the Sportzilla Show on the Accelerate Sports Complex phone line. We welcome in from the Baseball Hall of Fame, uh, John Shestakovsky. It's nice to talk to you again. I'm very excited to revisit the Field of Dreams go, uh, Field of Dreams game. I'm old enough to remember when they had the first ever Major League Baseball game in Iowa in a cornfield. What an amazing, amazing (laughs) event that was. 
And we talked about this even before it happened. I wonder what they're bringing back to Cooperstown from this, because it's amazing how that little movie, as Kevin Costner said, has become such a, a piece of history. And, and I was reading through, you know, Tim Anderson Spikes, Eloy Jimenez's jersey, uh, Lance Lynn cap. And then there's the Yankee side of that. And that's where I open up the phones to you, John, to get us started. And any other takeaways and observations from your unique experience that you want to share? Well, th- thanks so much for having me. It's it's wonderful to reconnect, guys. And and yeah, it's been a busy few weeks since we last uh, connected. Um, certainly, the the Field of Dreams game, one one of a couple trips uh, that um, you know uh, the Hall has put me on, and and very uh, enjoyable and and really a special moment, a special place to be. I think. Um, you all saw on TV how uh, magical that experience was, and, and it was no less magical in person. It was really special. And, you know, more than anything to see, you know, the, how, how much it meant to the fans, how much it meant to the players, and uh, it, it was a special moment. Um, you mentioned some of the artifacts we were able to bring back to Cooperstown um, due to the generosity of, of the players and, and MLB um, and the teams. Uh, and uh, one addition, right, that, that uh, we did not touch on was the Yankees. And uh, we thought it was really more, in, in some ways, a White Sox story because of the fact that uh, the Field of Dreams, Field of Dreams, the film, is centered on yeah. um, the White Sox themselves. So we did focus our energy on making sure we collected artifacts that could tell the story from the White Sox side, um, those iconic White Sox 1919 uniforms that we see in the film recreated um, you know, for this special game. Uh, so that's why we focused on uh, White Sox left fielder Eloy Jimenez, um, you know, Shoeless Joe obviously was a left fielder for the White Sox as well. So we thought that would be a good uh, connection to make. And then the first pitch thrown in the game and in Iowa by Lance Lynn, their starting pitcher who donated his cap. Um, and then after the game, as, as it so happened, a really dramatic and wonderful finish for everyone but Yankees fans. Uh, really <laughs> exciting game. And uh, Tim Anderson, who hit that walk-off game-ending home run, was kind enough to donate the uh, the shoes he wore to us. I, I guess he wasn't shoeless Tim Anderson, but he was pretty darn close, <laughs> perhaps, by the end of that day. And from the Yankees side, you know, important to document their participation and a really uh, kind of a neat um, – Connection, I would say, is uh, that the cap we ended up requesting and re- receiving from the Yankees side uh, belonged to uh, Aaron Boone, manager, obviously. And we got there just thinking about the different connections and how, um, you know, baseball and, and the uh, generational component of the game is featured so much in Field of Dreams with uh, Costner obviously getting to play catch with his dad at the end um, and uh, and Boone being a part of a baseball family, an intergenerational baseball family, father, grandfather, brother playing the game. So we thought that was a neat connection, and, and now Boone's hat uh, from the game will be here in Cooperstown as well. Wow. CBW from our Twitch chat is asking, were there any corn stalks brought back to the Baseball <laughs> Hall of Fame? So, no, great question. Um, we actually have a, an ear of corn from the film, uh, from the filming um, in our collection. Wow. So we did not get another ear of corn from this one, but we have one from 30 years ago when the film <laughs> came out. Um, what I did uh, uh, bring back was a, a neat um, sign that a fan, uh, a fan actually put together uh, with her son, uh, a woman named Wendy, um, who actually runs a fifth-generation corn farm 
in Iowa City, Iowa. She and her son put this together, and it was a bright yellow sign that says Swing for Corn. And I just thought there's no better encapsulation of what makes this game so special than a, a sign like that. And the fact that it came from a fifth generation corn farm, just put it over the top as a, a really neat bow to the story. Well, didn't they call it a corn back victory for the they, White Sox? They, they, or something they said like a that? corn back victory. There was John, John Carlos, Cornlow Stanton. Great, <laughs> there's a great puns. Great puns. Go ahead, Spencer. Yeah, we're with John Shestakovsky, vice president of communications and education at the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. And John, you know, you mentioned uh, Tim Anderson's cleats. Uh, whenever I go to the hall to, as a fan to, to look at the uh, exhibits, I will refuse to look at those cleats because they bring up bad memories now. <laughs> but uh, that being said, you mentioned uh, earlier in our conversation about the fact that you've been on a, a few trips for the Hall of Fame lately. And um, I know that when we talked last, you were talking about the fact that you were, at, uh, you were in Kansas City at Kauffman Stadium for Satchel Page's 50th anniversary of his induction celebration. So what did that mean to you to be able to be on the field for an event like that to celebrate one of the the all-time greats in Uh, in the game of baseball? Yeah, uh, oh my gosh, it was such an amazing moment and and so great to see like the city of Kansas City rallying around Satchel Paige, who hasn't, you know, he's 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 been gone a long time, but his legacy lives on in such a, a robust way in Kansas City. We were um, lucky enough to uh, work with the Kansas City Royals um, to actually bring Satchel Paige's plaque out of Cooperstown for the first time since it went up. You know, it was a 50-year anniversary of his plaque going on the wall. This was. Um, gosh, I think two Mondays ago on uh, August 9th. Yep. So we were able to bring that plaque out um, out of Cooperstown for the first time and have it um, on display for fans um, at Kauffman Stadium at the Royals game, um, have a part of pregame ceremonies, um, uh, you know, with the Page family as they honored that important moment. And, and you know, it's not only – Satchel Page, the amazing player, and Satchel Page, the incredible person who who was, uh, you know, such a unique and and popular uh, ball player in the Negro Leagues, and then has this amazing lore about him from his time in the major leagues. Uh, but it's also recognizing that Satchel Page was the first player inducted into the Hall of Fame. Uh, for what he did in the Negro Leagues. And that, that again, happened 50 years ago. Um, and so a great moment, a great way to be, uh, to be able to recognize that legacy. Um, you know, we brought the plaque not only to the ballpark, but to the house where he grew up that's wow. being turned into, or not where he grew up, I'm sorry, where he lived with his family for a number of years. Um, and that house is being turned into, you know, a museum. Um, and there was a really wonderful announcement being made uh, about that that house, we were able to bring it to the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum as well and have it uh, live there alongside a wonderful statue that they have of Satchel Paige. Um, so a really wonderful experience. And again, it, it's it's the people that had the chance to see it and, and their reactions to it being uh, out of Cooperstown for the first time um, and, and the love of this man and his legacy. Um, and it, it led into probably the longest road trip I've done driving <laughs> from Kansas City straight to Dyersville on, on that day on Thursday uh, to get to Field of Dreams on time. A, a, a busy, busy trip, a really fun trip, um, one that I will probably never forget. Yeah, I was, I was, I was saying that because the Yankees played the Royals in that game as well. Yeah. So it's like you could have just asked the Yankees <laughs> to take the charter flight with them I to Iowa. I was following those guys around for a few days. 
It, it's just it's it gives you the chills to think really about that. Does. And we live vicariously through you are QSportsTalk.com and ESPN Radio Sports Hill Show. And this is John Chesikovsky from the Baseball Hall of Fame online with us. Uh, you get another moment that I mean, you described the Field of Dreams game as magical. You're talking about Satchel Page, and for me, as a baseball fan, a baseball nerd, a baseball geek, whatever you want, I get the chills thinking about oh, yeah. that. And here we go. Oh, yeah. Finally, we're going to get Derek Jeter, some other players inducted. Larry Walker's another one who's been waiting, who played some minor league baseball close to where we are with the Utica Blue Sox. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's final preparations. This is coming up right after Labor Day on the seventh. So now the floor is yours to tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, we're we're excited. As I said uh, to you guys before, it's 19 months in the making, and uh, we are we are ready. We are looking forward to it. The stage is literally set. Um, the stage is already up and uh, and ready for us uh, in uh, uh, on the grounds of the Clark Sports Center, just outside of um, of the main part of the village here. Um, so Wednesday, September 8th, it is the uh, in long-awaited induction of the class of 2020, and that's Derek Jeter, um, longtime executive for the Players Association, Marvin Miller. Uh, Ted Simmons mm-hmm. uh, and Larry Walker. So a really great class. And um, obviously these folks uh, have been waiting a long time for this moment. And it's going to be very special. Um, it, it really is going to be, um, uh, you know, a lot <laughs> A lot has gone into it. And, and making it work in this format is, is really, it's wonderful that we can be out there um, on the field like normal. Um, and uh, it sh- should be a, a pretty pretty normal looking ceremony in terms of what we've been able to do in the past. Um, but just wonderful if that fans can come and be there, um, open to the public and it's, it's free, uh, free, uh, you know, lawn seating, just great that fans can be a part of this. Um, and, uh, honestly that, that some of the hall of famers can come back and be a part of it to support these guys going into the hall and be together again, because, um, it's been a long time since we've been able to have, this group together, and uh, unfortunately, we've lost a lot of our legends, our Hall of Fame legends, um, since our last induction ceremony in 2019 when, when they last gathered. So it's important for them to come together and, and have that chance to be together as a group, the Hall of Famers as well. Yeah, I mean, we, we obviously have talked about in the past the fact that this this ceremony has been two years in the making, but honestly, for, for Yankees fans especially, it's really been six years in the making since Jeter has retired and we knew he was going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer and that he was going to be inducted in what was supposed to be 2020. So certainly great to have this coming back. Now, John, you just mentioned the fact that, you know, the Hall of Famers are, are the current Hall of Famers are, are gathering to honor these guys in Cooperstown as well. We were talking about Ricky Henderson earlier, 37 other current Hall of Famers will be at the ceremony. So for you to be there, to be a part of the experience, you know, fans are, are there and able to share in it as well. But how cool is it to be in the presence of that many legends at one time? Oh, it blows! It blows your mind. It blows your mind every every year that this happens. Um, you know, you're you're at the hotel as they start arriving, and it's just one after another, as you said, living legends, and um, they're all obviously, um, you know, it just you know, uh, men and people just like the rest of us. But um, that doesn't it doesn't feel that way <laughs> when they start walking <laughs> through the door. And, uh, you know, my favorite moment of the induction ceremony is the start when each of them is introduced to the crowd. Um, and we have the chance for each of them to have their their, you know, moment to be recognized by the fans. Um, it, it's really so clear that no matter when you played, 
Um, there are still people that obviously remember why we honor them um, and have that passion for the game's history and, and for these individuals. So it's, re it's really cool to see, um, you know, at the induction ceremony that each of them gets that moment to shine. Well, Spencer's going to be covering it, yep. uh, and we'll check in with you about all of that afterwards. And then once the dust settles, we've got to reach out to you again. John Chestakosi with the Baseball Hall of Fame. Uh, so we'll be we'll be contacting you. You can bet on that. <laughs> I'll be I'll be ready and waiting beginning uh, September 9th, whenever you need me. Perfect. 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 Thanks so much for the time. Have a great rest of your weekend. This is ESPN Radio and the Sports Illustrated Show. We're going to come back and talk to Chris Carlson from Syracuse.com and turn the conversation back to Syracuse football. This is the SportsZilla Show with Rain and Matt and WKTV Sports Director Spencer Davidson on ESPN Radio. Back on the jam again, I think, is the old saying, right, on the SportsZilla Show on ESPN Radio with uh, another fresh voice from Syracuse.com, uh, the one that joins us regularly. His name is Chris Carlson, and he wrote a little something about, well, something we talked about and something we're actually going to get a little bit of audio pertaining to from Coach Dino Babers in a couple of minutes in soundcheck. But you spoke to Tommy DeVito and Garrett Schrader. A lot of the media did yesterday in addressing the quarterback situation. We happen to have Tommy DeVito on from the fair yesterday. Um, that's the James Mitsubishi Sports Illustrated Show podcast or on demand at QSports.com if you'd like to listen to that. Got it racked up a lot of plays. But we want your observations. Uh, you know, you get to talk to them and, you know, see their face and, and body language and, and how you're feeling about things. So... DeVito feels like he's in the lead. Schrader wants it bad. And what were the rest of your takeaways? You know, uh, I don't think a whole lot really has, has probably changed um, from the, the start of the season in, in training camp and that it was Tommy DeVito's job to, to sort of lose. Um, he certainly didn't lose it. Um, you know, uh, I, I would bet that, that he's sort of the guy that um, – we see more of early in the season. Uh, you know, you know, he's naturally, we've talked about, it, he's naturally going to look better in practice because he, he throws a better ball. Um, he's been in the offense longer. So he's, he makes the right decisions almost all the time. And that is going to impress a coach naturally in practice. Um, now, whether that translates into a game, you know, depends on a lot of things, right? Right. Uh, does the offensive line hold up? Uh, Garrett Schrader's a better improvisation improvisational quarterback. Um, he's a better scrambler. So, it, you know, if, if they're in a situation where things are going wrong, uh, um, Garrett Schrader's maybe the guy who's more likely to make something out of nothing. Um, but, but you certainly don't go into the season, I don't think, with the plan to make something out of nothing, um, we, you know, which is why I think Tommy DeVito's probably the guy early, um, you know, and probably was all along. Yeah, now we, we heard yesterday – from the two quarterbacks, it doesn't really seem like they're too keen on uh, what Dino Babers uh, said was his plan to start both of them, or not, excuse me, not start, but play both of them uh, in week one, kind of have a little bit of a QB rotation. So, uh, you know, cup, I guess a two-parter here, you know, do you think it's the right move to basically have a one-and-one-B rotation? Um, and do you think the fact that these guys aren't so willing to do so, at least publicly, that it could be a hindrance? You know, so the one thing that Dino Babers hasn't said, and, and right, it was a surprise that he said anything at all. Right. Because <laughs> yeah. he, he rarely says anything. I mean, all of a sudden, out of the blue, oh, we're going to use two quarterbacks. Okay. Um, but he didn't say how much, right? He, he didn't say, 
you know, Tommy's going to play the first three series, and then we're going to give Garrett a, a chance. Um, you know, he didn't say we're going to rotate him in. He, he just said, you know, both are going to play at, at points this season. Um, you know, and the one thing that Tommy DeVito was pretty much, you know, your standard, hey, whatever it takes to win, um, you know, coach is trying to put the best guys on the field, give us the best chance to win, you know, yada, yada, yada. Um, Garrett Trader was a you know, a little bit more interesting just in said, hey, no matter who wins the, the job, I hope that the quarterback that starts the game gets a chance to sort of get in the flow and have it work or, or not work um, for him. And, you know, Dino hasn't said one way or the other, you know, when he's going to change guys in and out. Um, he hasn't said Garrett Trader and Tommy DeVito are both going to play every game. Um so I think it's sort of to be determined, you know, how much of a rotation the quarterback rotation actually is. I'm, I'm going to wait until I see games to, to sort of judge that, you know, how much of a rotation we've actually got here. Chris, I was intrigued by the use of the word timeshare in Greg, uh, Garrett Schrader's answer. And he talked about his skill set. In other words, he's very aware of, what he is good at as opposed to when you compare and contrast to how Tommy's game is. And and they've both said that they support each other, but there just seems to be this seething desire. Um, Tommy is a little bit more measured and doesn't, you know, just the general platitudes, but Garrett's, you can kind of feel like he's just biting his lip and there's some things he wants to say. And he really feels like he's perfect for this program. And if you feel I'm a little bit behind right now, Sit tight. It's not going to take me take long for me to show you that I am the guy. And don't you want one guy to seize the day, carpe diem, and just cement themselves as the quarterback for the season? That's the best case scenario. Yeah, I mean, you know, Dino Babers has said sort of all along that, that that's what he wants. Um, you know, and I, you know, this is just me with no inside information. You know. I suspect Tommy DeVito does get a chance to, to seize the job if he performs well early. Um, and, you know, in college football, if, if you're not preparing your backup a little bit, if you're not preparing the guy who's going to start next year a little bit, um, you're probably doing yourself a disservice. So, you know, regardless of how well it goes this year, you know, you, you would think the, the Dino Babers, you know, even if Tommy is the starter, you know, you would think that Dino Babers would be looking for spots to, to get Garrett Schrader some experience here and there, even in a, a best-case world. Uh, but you're certainly right about Garrett kind of really um, being very aware of, of who he is as a quarterback. And, you know, he says, hey, I've got to go and I've got to prove that I'm going to make the right decision every time. And then if I'm making the right decision every time, then my ability to sort of improv and, and, and make plays, you know, that's sort of the deciding factor. Um, but the first thing I have to do is go out and I have to show the coaches that I'm going to make the right decision um, and the decision they want me to make in every circumstance. And, you know, by, by his account, he, he's doing, you know, he thinks he's growing. He thinks he's doing very well in that regard. Um, but he also recognizes, hey, this is a guy that's run the offense for four years and, and you know, it's simply going to be better than that, than that at me right now. Chris Carlson with Syracuse.com is here with us on the Sports Hill Show. It's ESPN Radio. We're at QSportsTalk.com. And the Owies, there's a few. 
Got to talk about Courtney Jackson. It's Dakota Davis with a lower leg injury. Chris Bleich has an illness. McKinley Williams. Any updates on that or further concerns that might be long-term as we look forward to the Ohio game on September 4th? You know, they, they don't appear to be the type of – they don't appear to be season-ending, you know, long-lasting into the season type injuries. Um, you know, Chris Bleich has, has sort of practiced intermittently in, in this illness. Um, but was out when, when we saw practice on um, Thursday. Uh, so, so not much of a worry there, um, I don't think, long-term. Cordy Jackson didn't have any sort of, you know, brace or sling or, or anything that would make you overly concerned that his is like a long-term issue. Um, you know, Dakota Davis did have that the, the protective boot on his foot. He, he's had that off the last time that we've seen him. Um, but that's, you know at least a little concerning in terms of kind of his game shape for Ohio, probably, um, you know, and, and McKinley Williams is probably, um, you know, that, that he's a little bit interesting and that we haven't seen him work, work out. Um, he was at one practice, but, but he hasn't been at very many. Um, again, I don't think they're describing it as an illness. So I don't think that's a long-term si- situation, um, but you know, those big guys you, you don't like them to be, inactive for, for lengthy amounts of time. And it's, it is probably going to take him some time to work his way back into form. Um, but, you know, for, for the opening week, the, the big thing I think is, hey, you know, we talked about the, the depth of the offensive line. You know, two guards who were supposed to supply it certainly haven't had the preseason that they wanted. Um, so, you know, it's, it's something to be wary of. Um, but hopefully uh, not something that should hold the team back against Ohio, uh, despite those, those betting lines that are floating around. Chris, it's my favorite time of the year. It's the Syracuse.com football prediction time. I would like for you to give some of your reasons why you chose the SU record 5-7 and seven for this season. Yeah, you know, uh, I think Syracuse will be better. Um, you know, I, I, I buy the fact that they have more depth on the offensive line. I buy the fact that they have more depth at quarterback if something goes wrong. Um, they don't lose a ton of production outside of, of defenses back, which is an area that I think you can often sort of compensate for with younger players and younger guys can pitch in sooner there. Um, so I think, that, I think they'll be better. Um, and I think the ACC isn't great. Uh, you know, there, there's Clemson and then there's North Carolina and Miami who are, who are probably, you know, a solid second tier. Um, and then there, there's certain, there's a very, very broad third tier and it's not a great tier. So, so any of those teams to me, you know, something could go wrong. Um, something could go right. You, you just don't know. Coming off a one-win season, I don't put Syracuse in that tier with those teams, but I do think Syracuse can can jump up and bite a couple of those teams that have their seasons go wrong um, rather than have their seasons go right. Um, you know, so 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 five and seven felt right to me for a for a team coming off a one-win year. You know, that, that that's improvement. Um, whether it's enough improvement. Uh, you know, if my prediction's right, we'll be having that conversation at the end of the year, too. So I assume you've got the schedule in front of you when you're making your predictions, and I don't know if you do at this very moment, and we got about a minute left here with Chris Carlson of Syracuse.com on ESPN Radio, but what were a couple of the teams, maybe off the top of your head, that you felt would put a check mark in that win column to get to that five-win total? 
Yeah, you know, I certainly think they can beat Rutgers. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't mean they will, but they can. Um, they're, they're pretty even right now. Uh, they could get Liberty. Um, okay. You know, Wake Forest, Boston College. Yeah. So those are teams that don't have a ton of depth, and, and if they lose a guy or two, um, you know, Virginia Tech's coach is on the hot seat already. You know, by the time Syracuse plays them, who knows how, how that situation, you know, has sort of played itself out. Um, so, you know, that that's six games that I think are at least, you know, uh, they have decent probability of winning. Am I going to pick Syracuse to win them all? No, but, but do I think they're going to get some? Yes, I do. So those are the ones that are in the, we love this term, winnable <laughs> category. Uh, Chris, thanks, man. Have a great rest of your weekend. We appreciate the time. Let's talk again very soon. Okay, Sports Illustrated Show with a quick break. Soundcheck is next. We're going to hear a little bit of audio from Dino Babers. He was on with Packer and Durham on the ACC Network earlier today. Uh, so that's next. It's the SportsZilla Show with Rain and Matt with WKTV Sports Director Spencer Davidson on ESPN Radio. Watch live on QSportsTalk.com. Listen to this. Mic check. Okay, good. Here's your sports sound check. First piece of sound on sound check is actually going to be the voice of Matt Page, the glue guy, who's going to give us the breaking news that hit about an hour ago. That if you're with us at QSportsTalk.com, we've had the conversation quickly, uh, but we're like, wait a minute, we got to bring that to the airwaves. So what's going on? Kramer Cook, director of recruiting operations, is leaving Syracuse football and will be joining the Minnesota Golden Gophers football program the time, in the same exact role. Yeah, the timing of it, we're not quite sure about why now, but also, I mean, fundamentally a better program, right, as it stands. I mean, you can't argue against that coming off a one-win season. Uh, but some questions were answered um, and asked, I suppose. Dino Babers did the answering. Uh, he was on Packer and Durham earlier today. We got some of that audio. We want to unpack that. Obviously, some of the same general platitudes, I think, that we've all heard already, but we'll read and react to a few of them. A topic of conversation has been the super seniors, the guys coming back, your Aaron Services, your Josh Blacks, those types of guys, and how much they're going to rely on them and their hunger and the unfinished business. And, I mean, what was the quote I read from uh, Josh Black yesterday? I had it floating around somewhere. Motivated more than ever, basically, is what he had said yesterday. I'm paraphrasing, and we touched on that when we were at the fair. Uh, But here's Dino's comments to Packer and Durham about them. You know, we've got most of our super seniors are back on on the defensive line, and we needed all those cats to come back. And we're really excited about the commitment that those guys have made. And we need those seniors, not only on defense and offense, to be the leaders on this thing. I mean, they came back for a reason. These guys got their degrees, and they came back to see if they can make it different. And uh, the coaches and myself are doing everything possible to make sure that they this comeback is going to be something that they can talk about for a long time. What do you think, Spencer? No, I, I, I think it's very important. I mean, like he said, these guys did come back for a reason. And to be quite honest, when you're coming off a one-win season and you get your degree, I mean, there has to be something to it if you decide to come back. And what an ability to hyper-focus on the task at hand for him, too. That's got to be one of those things that you've got to consider that in your decision to return. I'm glad that, that there's a half a dozen players coming back to take on that role. It, you got to sack up to do that, to say you want to return to a program that won one game last year. Absolutely, and that shows great leadership right there, you know, in and of itself. And so you know, you know 
those guys are going to be absolutely vital, both on and off the field this year, if Syracuse is going to have any success. And the fact is that, excuse me, the fact is that these players, you know, for the most part, are above average players at their position. So it's huge to have these guys in the lineup this year with all the experience and the talent that they bring to the table. This is the Sportszilla Show and Soundcheck on ESPN Radio and QSportsTalk.com. So we were just talking to Chris Carlson and with three of his colleagues, the 2021 Syracuse football predictions are out on Syracuse.com. Brent Axe was obviously involved in that, Mike Curtis and Nate Mink. Uh, but I wanted to go to Chris Carlson's choice for defensive MVP. He's the only one of the four that chose Mikel Jones. Otherwise, it was Garrett Williams. That's who they're thinking is going to be the most important player on that side of the football. Well, on Packer and Durham this morning, Dino Babers was asked about Mikel and his leadership. You know, as good as everyone else is, Mikel is the quarterback of that defense. And he, I can still remember there was, and I'm not going to give you a name, there was an incident that happened um, last year, really, really early with one of our young people. And, uh, you know, a coach, maybe the one looking at you, got after him a little bit. <laughs> and I... And his response was his response. And I can still remember that young man maybe thinking about doing the wrong thing. And Mikhail had his arm around him and, and talked to him and, and, and talked to him and talked to him. And next, you know, four or five minutes later, that guy was back in there and he was doing good, not bad. He was doing right, not wrong. And I'm not going to tell you who that guy is, but he ended up playing a whole bunch of games. And I'm super fired up and we're super excited about what he can do this year. That's the stuff that leaders do, and that's how that's what Mikael Jones is. You need those guys on a roster and in the locker room. I think anybody that watches sports or has played sports understands that. You need that no matter what you do for a living. Those, those KG veterans, those guys that teach the younger guys, it is so important to establish culture, which, let's be honest, they're reestablishing the Syracuse culture this year because there was a lot of things wrong last year. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the title is most valuable player, not most valuable stats leader. Mm-hmm. That's right. So there's a ma- massive element of things that go on off the field that determine how valuable you are to your team. And Mikel Jones, you know, but that's I love that story right there. It just shows how valuable he is behind the scenes. He might not be the flashiest player on the field, but I mean, he's a hell of a player. I love but a player. There, he might not be the most flashy player that jumps out to you on the stat sheet. But again, I mean, he was he was an All American, you know, in 2019. You so get the job done, he's, though. Yeah, he's he's no slouch. He led the ACC with four interceptions last year. I mean, so he's certainly no slouch. So I think this is a fantastic pick. From Chris Carlson, because both on and off the field, I mean, the guy is a dog, as they say. And so, you know, I, I think that there's a very real possibility that he is he ends up being the most important player for this defensive unit. Certain guys, they just have this charisma, this this ability to connect with others where guys take on the personality of the dogs, of the leaders, you know, as you said. And that's that's another thing that brings these teams together. You need everybody to have that mindset to be really hungry. You can say it, but when you're on the field in the game, you have to bring it to that level. And I want to see that. That's what I'm hoping for. 
Uh, we've, of course, heard FanFest is tonight. We've talked about FanFest tonight. We've heard from Tommy DeVito. We've heard from ourselves. We've heard from everybody. How damn important are these fans being back in the Loud House? And what do you call it? The Dome Field Advantage. They talked about that, Dino Babers, and, of course, Packer and Durham earlier today. These are the words spoken. I really am. And you talk about the young people that played last year. Those young people that were playing for us, they haven't even they haven't even felt the dome yet. I mean, right. they're playing in front of an atmosphere. They have literally, they've played eleven ACC games, and they haven't played in front of their home crowd yet. Mm. And you know, we went down south, and there were some places that you know that were different, and they had fans. But when they come in this year, even though they played a whole year in the ACC, they're about to find out what their home field advantage looks like, sounds like, and feels like. There is nothing better than a loud, rambunctious crowd, from my biased opinion, at the Carrier Dome for football or basketball, for that matter. Spencer, go ahead. Yeah, to me, the best atmospheres in sports um, are Madison Square Garden and Carrier Dome. I, it, it's, you know, the, the thing is to have an indoor football stadium of that size uh, it just creates such a great environment. The acoustics are amazing. I mean, you go, you you have high school football sectionals, and there's, I don't know, maybe 500 people. It's a almost completely empty stadium. Yeah. It is still loud. Yes, it is. It is still loud. Voices project. So you put, you know, 40,000 people in that stadium, you, you're going to hear it. You're going to feel it. You're going to feel it on the field. You literally feel it through your feet. Yeah. Let's stop right there, take a quick break. The last thing we'll say today is actually going to be a holdover here from Soundcheck. We have some audio about Cam Newton, rap music, and spoken by Scott Zolak. And I wanted to air this next because that's going to give you out there listening, whether it's on ESPN Radio or QSportsTalk.com, a nice conversation piece to get into your weekend. Hang on, that's next. It's the SportsZilla Show with Rain and Matt with WKTV Sports Director Spencer Davidson on ESPN Radio. Watch live on QSportsTalk.com. Here's the last thing we'll say today. I got a carryover of some audio from our previous segment called Soundcheck, and I want Matt Page, the glue guy, to set this up real quick. I'll throw the name out there, Scott Zolak. Take it from there so I can play this. So former Patriots quarterback, and current broadcaster for the team, actually, he was talking about Cam Newton and basically being distracted by the music at practice. And needless to say, this has caught headlines across the national media. TMZ is reported on this now, and this is the audio. All over on Twitter, too, right? Yeah. So this is what he said, and it's, it's cringeworthy. I turn off the rap music, first of all. Because I think it's distracting for Cam here. Because in between every throw, he's dancing. I did see Karen Garigian of the Herald tweeting about that as he took the field. He's doing it in between drills, you're saying. Yeah, he makes a throw, and then the music's still cranking. I know you can hear uh, faintly in the background here. I think it's distracting for you. No, it's when they play Bon Jovi. But he can't help himself to where Mac looks like he came to work again. Like, he's here to work. And everything's attention to detail. None of this sounds this atypical from Cam. Yeah. Nothing different. Yeah. Nothing okay. different. Well, that's what he does then, right? I mean, so yeah, I, I, I would, it would be, to me, it would be more noteworthy if he was doing something that was out of character. Like, it sounds like he's doing all the same stuff, which means he might be first through the drills, which I don't, which I don't like. I don't like it all. Because I think they need to take a hard look at him. I think it's decision, I think it's decision week. Really? Like, just because what happened yesterday, I think you need one more look at Cam just to say, you know what? I, I need I need confidence in my decision. I'm going to go with Mac here. I need to see that 
Cam didn't take the five days off serious. That he came out, he's still jacking around. Just looks like Matt came to work today, and he didn't. So you're like, kind. Of, so you're kind of with me. You still think it's going to be Cam? I do. He I hasn't Bill lost needs- the job yet. It probably is going to be Cam to start this season. I don't think you're long for seeing Mac Jones, but that what he said, you can take that five different ways. And most of them aren't good. No, and a lot of people kind of read between the lines, and there's some undertones in that that are making a lot of people uncomfortable in the way that he chose to address that. Who's to say that his process, which has clearly worked for him, he got to a Super Bowl, he won an MVP, as Glue Guy pointed out to me earlier today. That's and I was like, that's right. Yeah. So um, he's been pretty successful, and there's other guys that have their process and uh, just how they get through things. And you know what? His process, he's still a better quarterback and had a better career than Scott Zolak did. So maybe you should have listened to more rap music. I just that's. And and I, I I get sort of what you're saying, but it also felt like they were trying to talk him off a ledge. They were they they were trying to take protect the ex- their teammate. Scott, and he just kept going. Scott, take the exit ramp. Uh, you you got to get off the ramp now. You got to get off the highway. But he just wouldn't do it. Yeah, show me an athlete that doesn't listen to music before a and game hyped. or at practice and get hyped. I used to listen to music. So would it be better if he was playing if if they were playing Bon Jovi and he was dancing to that? Like what's what's your issue here, Zola? It would have been acceptable. That's why it was the choice of words was yeah. interesting to say the least. Tom Brady ran out of the tunnel and screamed LFG. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Was anyone complaining about that? No. No. Of course he had to bring it back to some it was with with Patriots or was it was Tampa Bay or did he do it all the time? Both. Does he, he does it all the time. Correct. Is that like his rallying cry? Yes. His war cry? Yes. But it had to be. Does he actually say LFG or does no. he say the whole thing? Okay. He says the whole thing. Okay. You still love Tom Brady. Admit it. No. Yes. This is the Sports Illustrated Show at CSPN Radio. Have a great weekend, everybody.